Welcome to the Choate Family Office podcast series. On this show, we explore important topics related to investing, managing risk, and sustaining long-term wealth across generations. We believe that all investors can learn from the ways that successful families manage their wealth. All right, we are back to talk about municipal bonds some more. Last time we talked about the basics of municipal bonds, and this time we're going to go further. I'm Henry Dormitzer, and I'm a senior portfolio manager with Choate Investment Advisors. And I'm joined again today by Nate Harris and Anson Clow from Appleton Partners, where they manage $9.5 billion of municipal bond portfolios. Last time we talked about the basics, and I think a lot of investors have in their mind, gee, I think of my municipal bonds as my safe assets, some income and assets that aren't really going to go down in value so much when stocks go down in value. But in March, with the COVID crisis, the beginning of that, we saw municipal bonds go down. I saw some go down 10 percentage points, and that was a big deal and startled uh, startled investors. So Anson, I want to turn to you first to talk about what the heck happened in March. And then later, we'll go to you, Nate, to talk about whether we should be worried about municipal bonds generally. So Anson, what happened in March? You know, March was an interesting time. Ultimately, you had the coronavirus cause fear that led to market volatility in early March and throughout March. The grab for liquidity was led by investors' desire for cash and safety. As the virus made its way onto the U.S. shores in mid to late February, concerns of an economic shutdown, both domestically and globally, led to a flight to quality trade in U.S. Treasuries. Demand for the safety of U.S. Treasuries, the perceived highest credit quality there is, caused a 10-year Treasury to drop from a 160% range in mid-February to a low of 54 basis points on March 9th. Meanwhile, investor-led fear and selling took the S&P 500 down almost 35% between late February and March 23rd. And more germane to us in this conversation, Henry, in the municipal bond market, it took until mid-March before we really saw the angst enter that market. As municipal yields were dropping with treasuries until that March 9th time period, but then market perception changed for municipals as selling in municipal bond mutual funds and ETFs began that week. And over the next five weeks, municipal bond mutual funds had almost $47 billion in outflows. And selling in ETFs caused the ETFs to drop close to 8 to 10% in that same time period. As mutual fund investors raised cash, the fund companies were forced to sell bonds into a market with limited buyers in order to raise the cash to meet the redemptions. In a scenario where funds have to raise cash with limited liquidity, they are forced to sell whatever they can. This tends to be their highest quality bonds. As the illiquidity grew, prices were dropping, causing yields to go higher and higher in order to attract buyers. In fact, the 10-year AAA municipal yield reached a low on March 9th of 78 basis points only to reach a near-term high two weeks later at 2.79%, over a 2% move higher in yield. Meanwhile, remember that during this time, the Treasury curve had strong demand from the flight-to-quality trade, and yields remained low. This created an interesting phenomenon which highlighted relative attractiveness of municipals to Treasuries. Since as municipal yields increased and Treasury yields remained below 1%, the relationship between the two asset classes became a bit distorted with municipals becoming extremely cheap or attractive relative to treasuries as measured by the ratios of municipals to treasuries. We discussed earlier that historically the 10-year AAA muni has averaged 86 to 87% of the 10-year treasury since 1990 and started early March at 82%, only to get over 300% of treasuries by March 20th at the peak in yields. That means municipal yields in 10 years were three times higher than treasuries, where typically there are 87% of treasuries. Initially, it was a desire for cash that caused the selling, 
but growing credit concerns also triggered sales due to fears of a long economic slowdown and the resulting credit impact on municipalities like states, cities, and towns to various other entities like airports, toll roads, hospitals, among other credits. Eventually, the value represented by extremely cheap municipal offerings caused the outflows to stop and demand began working its way back into the market by mid-April. Yeah, that's fascinating, Anson. So an investor might say, holy smokes, my muni's didn't quite act like I expected them to, but then they started coming back after some amount of time. I'm gonna to come to Nate next, but before we, we leave this talk of, of trading, does this mean that investors need to think differently about the role of municipal bonds in their portfolio? Are they still a role of safety in a portfolio? Municipals are a core part of a well thought out asset allocation model for high net worth individuals because of their tax exemption, but also their strong creditworthiness, which has been exhibited over time. Sure, there have been limited times of disconnect like we saw in March, but long-term holders of municipals understand the creditworthiness of these credits and the perpetual nature and role they play in our economies. And they know to not underestimate their ability to work through these difficult times. For these reasons, investment companies understand the risks, but they also realize the opportunities presented when strong, high-grade municipal names are trading at yield multiples of two to three times treasuries. In addition to professional municipal investors seeing the opportunity, non-traditional buyers or crossover buyers, taxable buyers like funds and institutional accounts come into the municipal bond market looking for opportunities to buy bonds at levels not seen in a very long time relative to other investment asset classes. And eventually retail investors understood the value and that high-grade names would be able to work through the economic downturn and still be on solid ground. Thus, these high-grade names in the municipal universe started trading higher in price. The increased interest on demand for municipals ultimately led yields lower. And we actually saw the 10-year ratio go down closer to 200% for much of April and May. And today, strong demand for municipals has brought yields down closer to 100%. So even at these current levels and ratios around 100%, we are finding value in municipals, especially when the Fed comes out and says they aren't likely going to move the Fed fund rates off of zero until 2022. That makes a lot of sense. It, it sounds like the municipal market acted like a market where when a lot of people wanted to sell, values went down and yields went up, but that had the effect of drawing new people into the market that then bid prices down to a more normal level. So as long as we don't suffer permanent impairment in these investments because of a core credit problem, the market acts normally. Just don't think as an investor, you might be able to liquidate your bonds any day you want. Or if you do, you might be taking a loss. So what we saw is the market go bad, but it came back. That's exactly it, Henry. All right. So let's then then let's put trading to the side because we saw some real trading anomalies and then a normalization of trading and ask the question of Nate, which is, is there a risk of permanent impairment in municipal bonds? And should investors say, yeah, I'm a little worried about using these as safety in my portfolio? Thanks, Henry. And, and certainly COVID-19 has impacted all corners of the municipal market. Uh, during the mid-March flight to quality, there was an immense amount of uncertainty or caution. Um, and that uncertainty was really driven by, you know, how far or how deep was the virus going to spread? What were going to be the implications on people's health, uh, implications on the healthcare system? And as states and local governments moved to curb the virus spread, there was uncertainty about what those regulations or strategies would do to the economy. Um, we've certainly seen unemployment go up. We've seen businesses uh, shutter. And there was an immense amount of caution about what this impact would be on state and local governments. But as we move through April, and more information became available, uh, investors in the municipal market began to really look at past crises and how high quality municipal issuers have fared during other down cycles. 
While certainly the current events may be described as unprecedented, the track record of state and local governments managing through unforeseen events, managing through other periods which could have been described as unprecedented is very strong. They have a number of tools at their disposal and essentially they are out there on the front lines providing essential services even during uh, healthcare pandemics or economic disruptions. You know, Moody's puts out a default report annually on the municipal market. It's a great resource and it goes back to 1970. And if we look at the cumulative default rate in the municipal bond market from 1970 through 2019, it's 0.16% of the municipal bonds outstanding for each given year, an extremely small number. Now, this is not our our forecast, but say we put out an example of COVID-19 resulting in five times, a multiple of five times of that default rate because of the economic impact. That would still result in default rate of 0.80% of the municipal market. So below 1%, despite certainly a very serious health crisis and economic disruption. Now, given that track record, we have a very high confidence that high quality essential service providers within the municipal market will be able to weather through this downturn and will be instrumental in the eventual recovery. Segments that have been more immediately impacted in the municipal market include toll roads, airports, and transportation related issuers. With government shutdowns and businesses closing, the amount of people using these infrastructure assets certainly experienced a a deep decline at the end of March and into April. At Appleton Partners, what we've taken the approach is to, to dig deep into each one of these issuers and really look at what are the underlying fundamentals versus the reality. I think toll roads is a good example. The perception is that as a transportation asset that everyone would stop driving, they would stay at home. And in reality, while traffic did decline, and we saw on average about traffic declining about 50% troughing in the first month of April, that has started to come back well before states and localities began reopening. In some instances, traffic is down only 30% year over year. Now, that's not a great number, but the perception is that a toll road and traffic and transportation would be much weaker um, in the current environment. We've also taken a hard look at airports. Certainly, flying is down dramatically. In some instances, over 90% compared to the same period last year. And looking at the top 15 airports across the country, for us, liquidity is paramount. If these airports experience no revenue, over an extended period, what is the pain point? What's the ultimate outcome? And I think surprisingly, and I don't know if this is you know, expressed widely enough, is that airports generally carry a high amount of cash and investments on their balance sheet during normal times. We took the top 15 airports, as I mentioned before, and on average, those airports have enough liquidity to survive 20 months, meaning survival is paying normal operating expenses, and paying their debt obligations. Now, I think that's a little conservative because given the reduction in flights, certainly these airports have the ability to reduce their operating expenses as well. There's some operating leverage there. So in reality, that 20 months is more like 35 months or 30 months, uh, assuming no revenues. And again, they are receiving revenues now. Um, so again, taking more of a conservative approach. So that's really reassuring. Um, municipal cash reserves, their ability to manage and the core essentiality of the service, the fact that people get back out and drive even during the COVID crisis is an example of essentiality and the, that this stuff gets used. Uh, that's, that's reassuring when you ask the question about potential impairment. I'm, I'm going to ask a question about how this compares to corporate credits. And I'm going to ask it in a leading way because I know in corporations, if, 
if they run out of money and they default, oftentimes all of their debts become due and payable all at once. And if you were an individual where all of your debts were due and payable all at once, it would be hard to pay it all off instantaneously. That's called acceleration. And generally, Nate, I think acceleration doesn't exist in the municipal market. And so that type of risk, the one that corporations face, doesn't exist for municipalities either. Absolutely, Henry. And and certainly that the lack of acceleration on debt is is a is an important part of state and local debt structure and how they manage their debt. And I think another important point to make is uh, municipalities typically amortize their debt. In other words, it's like a mortgage. They're paying off principal year after year. Corporations, while allowed to do that, typically will issue their bonds and the maturities will be concentrated in specific tranches or, or 10 years out is a common uh, form of corporate debt. And while what is, was quite often as well is they do not use their internal resources or revenues to pay that debt at maturity. They usually will roll it into an additional issuance. On the municipal side, that is rarely done with the exception of refundings to, to lower costs. But in general, municipalities have structured their debt uh, much more conservatively than corporations. And Henry, you made an important point too that I'd like to touch on too. I think essentiality is a big driver of municipal credit and credit worthiness through down cycles and economic downturns. These municipalities provide services even during times like these and are instrumental in the eventual recovery. And I think that's why we see not only municipalities use a number of tools to remain financially viable, we've also seen the federal government step in immensely um, in the current situation understanding the importance of well-operated state and local governments. Some of those examples of where the Fed is supporting the municipal market was the CARES Act was really the first one that came out. And I think that's important because it was $2 trillion in total aid uh, to the market, and it got done in only a couple of weeks. If you look back to the last financial crisis, the Americans Recovery and Reinvestment Act was the stimulus package passed by Congress in 2009, and that actually took six months after Lehman's bankruptcy, and it was $881 billion. So just the swiftness in the size of federal support uh, has been very strong. At the state and local level, there is over $150 billion that has been handed out to state and locals as part of the CARES Act. And that really was aimed at helping those municipalities uh, combat the outbreak of the virus. Um, certainly, they're on the front lines as far as health care and ensuring that their population's safe. And I think the Congress and the federal government uh, realizes that and appreciates that. And that's why that first tranche of stimulus was so swift and, and so directed. We've also seen the federal government step in and provide support to the municipal market on, on the trading side, on, on the bond side. Although they have not been necessarily active in buying bonds, they've rolled out some programs that have provided a central backstop. And we've really seen that help in the the recovery as far as pricing on municipal bonds. We do think another tranche of aid will be passed by Congress. The timing is a little uncertain right now, um, but I do think that you know there's been bipartisan support in recognition that while the first CARES Act helped to provide liquidity on the healthcare side and in the expense side, the delay in tax revenues and in some cases the decline in tax revenues is presenting a liquidity challenge. And the next round of stimulus will be more so to just bridge the gap between now and then recovery a few months from now so that state and local governments continue to provide services and continue to be viable financial entities. This is really helpful, Nate and Anson. What I take away from it is that investors would be wise to anticipate trading anomalies. They happen, 
But because these underlying securities, the municipal bonds, are fundamentally pretty strong, new investors come in and reestablish a normal trading market. And that because these services are essential, have cash, and have more flexibility, generally speaking, this is a, a secure market that you can find good, good value in. So thank you very much for spending the time with us today. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, Nate. Real pleasure, Anson. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. And we really enjoyed this opportunity. Yes, thank you, Henry. Thank you again for listening. For more information about Choate Investment Advisors, please visit www.choatea.com. You can also listen to more episodes in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The information provided in this recording is for informational purposes only. While Choate Investment Advisors makes every attempt to present accurate information, the information on this recording may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances, and it may become outdated over time. The views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions only and should not be construed as financial advice for your given situation. Moreover, the views expressed by Appleton Partners are not necessarily endorsed by Choate Investment Advisors, and Choate Investment Advisors may decide to select investments on a different basis at any time and without prior notice. Finally, as everyone should know, past performance is not a guarantee of future performance.